Hello and welcome to Season 3, Episode 2 of God in Film, the podcast where a Christian and an atheist dive into the best that sin has to offer and see if we can find any parallels with the Gospel or any other Bible stories. I'm writer and Olympic bronze medalist for sexiness, Giles Goff. And I'm source maker and rakish adventurer, Phil Coleman. And we're continuing this little mini-season of God in Film by looking at TV shows. Today we're going to be investigating a modern classic crime drama, Broadchurch. Uh, Just a warning for listeners, as per the subject matter, this show will not only cover the spoilers uh, and and a key twist in the show, but it will also be covering sex offenders, grooming, and any other number of uncomfortable subjects. So if this might be problematic for you, just give this one a miss. So, Phil, this is a show we introduced to you for uh, for this podcast. What did you think of it? (laughs) I think it's brilliant. It just feels very um, brooding but self-aware that it is brooding. It knows that it's quite deep and dark and it's not afraid to poke fun at itself. But also as well, it's also not afraid to be that dark brooding drama when it needs to be as well. The, the, The cast are absolutely astonishing. Olivia Coleman just mm. needs to have awards that haven't even been invented yet. Anti Liver should be referred to. It's our Livy. Our Livy from Down Road. Hey, that's Elvy. She's a lovely character, loves a good cuppa. One of the things that was got me about this show was like it's almost like the camera is a character itself, you know, the way it has those sort mm. of like really gliding tracking shots pushing into people's face or just taking in like the sort of the, the barley and the wheat in some fields or you just you can almost feel the wind in the sh- in some of the shots. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely, it feels it feels like Broadchurch itself is a character, and the camera sort mm-hmm. of just dances around the the environment and brings that to life. And it's just it's just delicious. It's absolutely Definitely. sumptuous. All right, let's get into it. Let's have our Phil's facts. So, Broadchurch is a British crime drama television series broadcast on ITV, written by Chris Chibnall, or Chibbers, as we may refer to him from now on. The series is set in Broadchurch, a fictional English town in Dorset, and focuses on police detectives D.I. Alec Hardy and D.S. Ellie Miller as they investigate a death in the town. Across its three seasons, it has garnered critical acclaim for its writing, cinematography, and the performances of the actors, which include stars Olivia Colman and David Tennant. Fat one. Okay. Contrary to popular belief, Broadchurch is not based on, or a remake of, the Danish show, and I'm going to butcher this pr- uh, pronunciation completely, for Bridelson from 2007. And the script for Broadchurch actually predates shows such as The Killing by at least five years, which has been uh, compared to as well. Our Chibbers there originally had the idea for Broadchurch and started working on the script in 2002. However, it took him ten years to get the show on the air. To me, it feels like a stretch to even think about comparing it to The Killing. You know, The Killing is so so dour and so muted in its its colour palette. One of the things about Broadchurch is the the rich, almost kind of saturation of a lot of the shots. Mm. You know, it's it feels a very warm in terms of the in terms of like the the color palette and the feel of the place. Do you know what I mean? It's just one of those things, and it? it's just like you can't compare it to something just because it also deals with a murder and police. You mm. know what I mean? Like that could be yeah. a million other television shows. You know, so but Absolutely. it's interesting that people do make that connection. So only Olivia Coleman was accidentally told the killer's identity at the outset of filming. Even David Tennant was kept in the dark along with everyone else throughout the whole series making. Wow. There must be so many actors going there thinking, is is it is it me? <laughs> did I did I yeah, do it? Yeah. 
Well, this is it. Yeah, you can imagine they're all just like, hang on a minute, though. Like, am I meant to be acting a different way? <laughs> just, mm. Well, know, it's, it's fascinating that way because, because, like I say, there's there's certain things of like uh, cinematic grammar, if you like, that we as an mm. audience pick up on because of, of seeing it over and over again. And it's if you have a lingering shot on a character, then often we can we can think that they, they have some guilt attached to them, you know. And of course, if the actor is playing up to that, it's it's even more so, you know. I mean, the fact that uh, they don't necessarily know means that it's not necessarily being reflected in their performance. And that, I think, is quite true to life, obviously, because you can't tell what killers are like just by looking at them. Do you know what I mean? No, no, a, a killer could be your best friend in the whole world, mm-hmm. but they're never going to they'd probably never try and give it away because they obviously don't want to be found out for killing you know like yes yeah. it's, it's just one of those things i'll never know so almost all of the actors in season one took their parts with the understanding that they might be danny's killer that's being the person who was killed mm-hmm. in the first season only jodie whittaker who played the victim's mother was told definitely that she wasn't and she wasn't told who was according to the creator ah chibbers jodie asked me around episode six of series one. Look, am I the grieving mother? Or am I a secret killer crying crocodile tears? So I told her it wasn't her, but I only told her then. I still think this is Jodie Whittaker's best performance. The, the, as she, the, mm. of the role as, as of the grieving mother, because she, she sells that, that perfectly. That, that she, She's absolutely amazing in Broadchurch. Yeah. She, she's, you, you completely believe that she was Danny's mother. Especially that first episode where she's just realising that he's not at school and no one's seen him and then just that gnawing sense of, oh gosh, what's what's happened to him? You know, you, you, yeah. you, you're really yeah. with her there for that whole thing. Got a lot of time for it. So, a US remake in one season, Grace Point in 2014, was also created by our Chibbers and starring David Tennant aired in uh, 2014 on Fox. Also, a French adaptation titled Malaterra uh, in 2015 was produced by produced by France Two and aired in 2015. I don't and think I didn't know about that one. <clears throat> I knew about Grace Point. I didn't know about the the French one. I think Grace Point didn't get past a of uh, its first series. It's it's kind of regarded as a bit of a bomb and a bit of a like why. Why would you remake it? You know, why why bother? Do you know what I mean? Well, it just, I mean, yeah, it just feels as though you may as well have just screamed Broadchurch. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because it's incredible as it is. Absolutely. And I don't think having David Tennant there as, 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 which I don't think, I don't even think his name's Alec Hardy in it, but having David Tennant there, it just, with his American accent, it just feels Confuses weird. it a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, I just don't understand it. And finally, the chocolate Labrador that who accompanies Susan Wright and who Nigel threatens to kill actually belongs to Pauline Quirk, who plays Susan Wright. Uh, the dog's real name is Bailey. Aww. Awesome. That's all right. Awesome. Thanks for those, Phil. So, obviously, with regards to this TV series, the thing we're going to be focusing on is the topic of forgiveness and how it must be to have to forgive the unforgivable in, the, in these cases and, in particular, sort of dealing with um, people who are offenders and we don't have a lot of experience in that but we do know someone who does I'm going to let him introduce himself Hi, I'm Paul Newbold I've lived four and a half years now in Manchester and um, I'm a community outreach worker which also includes 
work in prisons. Paul, it is an absolute privilege to be talking to you today. Thank you so much for taking the time for us. So how would you describe your work in prisons? There's various jobs. I've had the privilege of leading services once a month in prison, Christian services in the chapel. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had the privilege of leading Bible studies in the chapel building and with small groups, six, eight, ten, coming to them. Um, peacemaker groups, which is sort of anger management and conflict resolution groups. And that would be with guys who haven't professed any kind of faith at all. Um, uh, but it's done mm-hmm. very much from a Christian point of view. Um, and one-to-one. So uh, I go onto the wings, talk to the guys, um, and then I'm also involved occasionally with resettlement work. So, um, yeah, what happens when they come out and how they get housing, how they get uh, work, um, and just keeping them on the straight and narrow where I can. So... Obviously, in that job, it sounds like you deal with uh, a wide variety of personalities. And mm. I guess the thing I'm, I'm particularly curious about is what's it like dealing with offenders who, for whatever reason, struggle to acknowledge their own guilt and still don't, don't seem to show much remorse for things they've done? Well, I don't take that as an issue because uh, I try to look past the stuff that, that isn't working right. In, in people and look for the good stuff. So um, uh, the, the biggest challenge, though, comes when you do something like forgiveness, which features on the Peacemakers um, Conflict Resolution Anger Management um, course that we do, where guys say, yeah, I can just about forgive, I can just about give, but not in that particular situation, but where guys just have a a zone, it might be they cannot accept that paedophiles can in any way be right uh, or or have any legitimacy on planet Earth. So their anger and their capacity for forgiveness is very, very hard for guys in prison in that area or people who um, have caused violence within their family. Um, So uh, it's when you get talking about forgiveness, that's when it gets really hard and I have to draw on all my skills to listen to these guys and find out where they're coming from and probably it's 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 up the road you know to be able to talk through issues of um of forgiveness in that respect it sounds like you just listen to people in the first instance and go from there yeah the walking alongside and the listening those would be the the two big factors because you don't go in there trying to fix them because you can't. The only way that I can influence people genuinely is by seeking to understand them and that comes through listening, that comes through spending time, that comes through journeying with them Um, and quite often through not understanding I can cause more problems. So So what do you think needs changing most in the prison system? Well, the, the prison populations are going up all the time um, and the mental health of prisoners and the educational level of, of these offenders and the, um, the issues that they face in life 
I'm not a big softie. I don't think that, you know, um, I think consequences are really important. They need to learn to face the consequences. But where there's a choice not to put someone in prison, I think that should be used more often than it is. But I do think that if the government were able to invest more in rehabilitation, in mental health um, and supporting prisoners, they'd save themselves a lot of money. We'd get a lower recidivism rate. Absolutely. And, and that's the whole reason I came into prisons work in the first place. I'd had no interest in, in justice or offenders or um, the extreme end of crime or anything like that at all. But it was when I watched a, a documentary on, on television that, that startled me so much that that started a chain reaction. And I wanted to know more. And I felt that was God speaking to me. Which links me to my next question. Why do you do what you do? <laughs> I've never been a sort of angry young man, you know, politically challenged in that way. I think that people should be politically engaged. And I've never had that sort of justice thing deep bubbling within me. But I do have a heart for people. And some of these guys who wanted to break that cycle... They wanted to, but needed just that little bit of help, that little bit of journeying alongside. Um, uh, then perhaps that's something that I could do with a little bit of experience I've got on top of teaching five-year-olds. <laughs> and there isn't any similarity there. <laughs> no pun intended. I just felt that if these guys had someone to journey with them, trust them, give them an opportunity to talk through what was going on in their lives and in particular open their hearts to the, the possibility of God helping them as well. That was important for me. But it was, yeah, not to change, not to turn them into Christians necessarily. That's something God does and that's something people do when they open their hearts and make that choice. But to just be able to spend time with them um, and break that cycle well listen paul thank you so much for taking your time it feels like a real insight and i i can't tell you how much we appreciate hearing from you on this one it's my pleasure so phil that was paul newbold what did you think you've got to have a very certain mind and and heart to be able to do that mm -hmm. kind of job i think i'm glad that people like him have that it's just nice to see that there are people out there who can be there for people who simply are unable to be objective um in the face of something that is that is heart-wrenching yeah because uh, that can be difficult and you know it can help people accept what's what has happened and how to continue on truly amazing the thing I, that got me most about him was paul said a lie and said you know i don't you don't go in trying to change people because you can't change people so why would you try you know yeah and it was it's not the sort of thing you expect to hear from somebody in that position but the point he's getting at is that if these guys decide they want to become christians that is great but to an extent it's almost like it's not their primary mission there it's just to go in it's a trite phrase but to walk alongside somebody you know and to just be just be with them. If the mission is to convert rather than to sort of save or to to um, to comfort when you need somebody, then I feel like that the mission is incorrect when it, it when it comes to that because it's hard to want anything like that when you're in that mindset. And yeah, I appreciate that. Okay, so now it's time for <gasps> finding the faith in the film. <laughs> 
So I've got a question for you, and uh, it might just be one that I just let hang there, but is there any such thing as something that is unforgivable? Ooh, that's a really good one, because I think that that entirely depends on the person. Talk me through that. One person's unforgivable act could be that, I don't know, they, they nicked a bag of crisps out of the cupboard, whereas another person's unforgivable act could be, you killed my daughter. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, like, it's, it's some people's... It, it depends on their frame of mind and, you know, whether their mind is all completely there, for example, not to put too fine a point on that. I feel like perspective has a lot to do with it, uh, to be yeah. sort of diplomatic in this situation. But I do think that there are some cases where, universally, there can be moments where things are unforgivable. That's interesting. So, we'll come back to, to that in a sec. So, today, I want to talk about the mechanics of forgiveness the the processes that we we go through for it because you and i we talked about how good it feels to be forgiven you know we we yeah. talked about that in the and we saw a brilliant example of that uh, in the five bloods you know where mm-hmm. uh, where paul feels for, forgiven by by norman but i wanted to actually get into it and ask like okay well what does what does forgiveness look like you know and one thing that we often think about is we think about forgiveness as like a binary state. I am forgiven or I am unforgiven. You know, and it's these two things and you are you yeah. are either in this camp or you are in that camp. Yeah, yeah and I get that. In my experience, that has not been the case because uh, I know that I should forgive somebody and I know that I'm trying to forgive somebody but if they hurt me on such a profound level, those feelings of hurt don't go away straight away. Do you know what I mean? With some aspects, like forgiveness needs other things to happen before forgiveness can be given to somebody. You know, I think sometimes there are t- there are uh, conditions or, you know, something that makes it easier for you to forgive. Like some things need to be fulfilled first, maybe. Well, that's interesting. Let's come back to that in a bit. Because I was talking about this to, to Nick Matthews, who we've had on the, mm. the podcast before. Nick Matthews, friend of the show. Love that he guy. He talked about it as forgiveness being something that is external from you. That, that forgiveness is something that has to be given to you before you can give it to someone else. Okay. Uh, and I, I love the idea that for him, the way he saw forgiveness and forgiving other people was God had to give him the ability to forgive that person, you know? Mm. And uh, and I thought that was interesting. Now, the crux of the matter is, in Matthew 6, verses 14 to 15, Jesus says, For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So that means, as Christians, we have an obligation and an incentive to forgive people because if we're not able to forgive people, then God's not able to forgive us. Yeah, I get that. Like, in some cases, when it comes down to pettiness like stealing crisps, as the example you gave... Um, <laughs> it's probably a bad example. It's probably a bad example. It's, but it's, it's, it's not a bad example, because it, it's a good example it's a good example of one end of the spectrum where there are there are people who literally will make decisions based on on really petty things like that yeah. and if we take it all the way through to as we're going to be talking about child murder it doesn't seem like that at that extreme <laughs> it seems like a, a reasonable thing to to say you know yeah absolutely so there's one thing and we're going to be looking at Matthew quite a lot today where Jesus is having a conversation and Peter who is one of his apostles, who is, as we've established, my favorite apostle, he comes up to him <laughs> and he says, Lord, if another member of the church sins against me, 
how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? And like <laughs> Peter is like, it thinks, okay, well, if this person upsets me, I'll give them like seven goes. You know, I'll let them, yeah. like I'll give them seven chances. And after that, you're dead to me. You know, that's his, that's <laughs> his thing. You know? Seems a little bit extreme, doesn't it? Like but you, that's that's, that's, that's basically the principle. Yeah, no, it's all you get. It's so, just funny. <laughs> so Jesus said to you, said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, seventy-seven times. Jesus, and now Jesus is like, seven times is not enough <clears throat> times to forgive somebody. You know, the the example I always take is, what if it's someone you love? Is there a limit to the amount of times you'd forgive them? Because yeah. what Jesus is doing there with the with the seventy-seven, he's actually lowballing it. It's, it's as if he's saying, "Well, it's more like seventy-seven, and to be honest, I'm only saying that because the answer may actually shock you." Yeah. <laughs> you know, Jesus. One of the things you see in his teaching is Jesus likes to likes the the word play. You know, seven, seventy-seven, that sort of thing, because yeah. an infinite number doesn't quite hit it yeah i think you need it sometimes you need context because at the end of the day we are only human with differing and varying levels of intelligence so sometimes you need metaphor when it comes to forgiveness obviously christianity uh, is known for this idea about turning the other cheek and being able to forgive even the worst offenders in in all manner of contexts but and this is crucial this is something that i think cannot be overstated do not mess us around, okay? One of the, one of the things that you see with, for example, political figures. Do you remember the way the the Christian evangelicals embraced Donald Trump, and he would oh, say, "Oh, God. he was very sorry for doing this, or he's sorry for doing that." It's like, well, you're not, though, are you? It's the lies, Donald. Come on, man. It's the lies. I can't stand. Yeah. Do you know I mean, you're obviously very troubled, yeah. but good grief. So. There's there's a few there's a few sort of guiding principles on this, and some of it I'm taking from the Bible, and some of it I'm taking from just fairly fairly standard church policy. Uh, the first thing to deal with is is private disputes, you know, where you and I fall out with each other, and it's not really going to affect anybody else but you and I, you know. Yeah. Uh, Matthew eighteen. 15 to 17. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. If they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. It's just like, oh, fine. Right, you know, okay, all right, well, you're over there and you're doing your thing and that's great and I, I don't really need anything to do with you, you know? <laughs> that. If we were trying to put that into modern modern words, how would we say it? Uh, if your mate says something offensive on Facebook, maybe DM them yeah, just between think, the two of you. Yeah, I think something just like, look, just, just you don't need to make this a public thing. This is clearly a disagreement mm-hmm. between you two. There's no point dragging anyone else into it, Just, just settle it between yourselves and and be done with it that way you know just but if they will not listen leave a comment on their post (laughs) and and if they don't if that doesn't respond then post about it on your own facebook wall where they can't delete your messages and if they still will not change if they still will not will not be won over then just unfriend them because you don't need that nonsense in your life yeah yeah it's very clear that you don't gel so just you know, delete, unfollow them on Twitter, delete them off Facebook, yeah. block them on Instagram. You know, that's the uh, Matthew eighteen, the Jigger standard version. You know? <laughs> Matthew eighteen, if Matthew himself had a, a smartphone with a, with yeah. an internet connection, because you 
it is important to forgive people. That's mm-hmm. that's a that's a standard thing. And if somebody asks for forgiveness, then you should be in a position to to be able to give them forgiveness. But also, if they're not repenting, if they're not changing their mind, if they are still digging the heels in, then sometimes you just got to pull away for your own self preservation. Do you know what I mean? Sometimes there's there's not a lot you can do. You've got somebody there who's so sort of fervent in their belief that they're correct mm-hmm. or just generally just very stubborn. There's not a lot you can do. You can't change people. You can't change people's minds unless, I don't know, you somehow have some kind of superpower or you're very, very good at speaking. But you've just got to, look, you've got to take care of yourself and I think forgiveness has a lot of a lot of impact in that. The other thing I wanted to talk about was, do you remember the first episode of season two of, um, of Broadchurch? Oh, vividly. I was yeah. fuming. <laughs> yeah. So do you want to just basically tell them what what happens with with Joe and what uh, and 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 why it's important? Oh, so basically Joe there is is about to go and get sent up for literally killing a kid. Spoilers. He goes up into he goes up there in front of the judge in front of the family of the fa- of of the of the uh, the kid that he killed in front of Alec Card in front of Ellie Miller. Who's who? By the way, is his wife, like who is completely embarrassed and destroyed by being a child murderer, and says, "Oh, I'm not guilty." By the way, and everyone's like, "Are you? Yeah. You can't be serious. Why are you dragging us through a trial?" And I've got to say, like, I I just felt all of it all at once when I first watched it. So I was like, "I can't believe you've done that, you scumbag." <laughs> yeah. When he talks about it, it's interesting. He can repent privately. When he's when he's talking to to Ellie or when he's talking to Alec at the end of the the first series, he can admit his guilt. He can uh, admit what he's done wrong, and he's clearly very very sorry about it. But when it comes to actually standing up in a court and dealing with the consequences, uh, he denies it. And his his justification is, I can't go to prison. More specifically than that, I can't go to prison for being a a, a child murderer or a sex offender and it's like well that's i do understand what your, your point there but you've not really given us a lot of choice at this point i feel like saying to him oh well tough luck joe you strangled a kid to death <laughs> you're gonna have to go to prison now that's the rules yeah. oh just oh i was so angry <laughs> i was so angry i really was one thing you can't do in in christianity is you can't ask god forgiveness <clears throat> without asking man for forgiveness as well. You, you should be, you're expected to try it to at least attempt to make some restoration in some way, shape or form. So if I upset you and I say, listen, dude, I'm really sorry about this. And you say, screw you, go to hell. Then I'm still in a position, I can still ask God for forgiveness and still get forgiveness from God because I still asked, you know, like God's mm. forgiveness isn't contingent on you forgiving me. It's contingent upon me asking does that make sense yeah yeah it makes sense like you've you've engaged in the act of forgiveness from you to someone else yeah you've you've decided to forgive somebody and then god goes well i forgive you it's all good (laughs) so true true repentance means being ready to accept the the consequence of your of your actions i don't know if you remember um the story of like zacchaeus the tax collector and uh and jesus and then and when when jesus sort of meets uh, this tax collector who's been like skimming off the top and he's been sort of making everybody else poor he says i'm going to repay everybody three times what i i took from them you know he shows 
it, it's this thing we've talked about in the past about um, <clears throat> about sort of like faith and works. You know, it, it, you know, doing things doesn't mean you've got a relationship with God, but it 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 is a strong indicator. Yeah, it's it's just a a way of being able to sort of uh, signpost it and vocalize it. You know, like it's it doesn't mean it, it it's it's. It's just it's just a step in the right direction is probably the best way I can put that. The other thing is is when we talk about sort of church uh, in a church setting, if you have a, a church leader who has committed some kind of sin, significant sin in some way, shape, or form, something that's had serious consequences or has a, a serious reflects very poorly on their character not necessarily Mm -hmm. something illegal because i think we've probably talked in the past about how there's a difference between legality and uh, and morality you know but something where somebody has definitely fallen in some way shape or form you know so the first thing that we you would expect from someone in that context would be to withdraw from uh leadership or ministry i mean first of all if again coming back to the uh, the sex offender thing if somebody has a um, a tendency to sort of have d- you know, develop inappropriate relationships with teenagers, yeah. then you don't put them in youth ministry. You don't yeah, put no, them in kids ministry anymore. Yeah, I feel like that's sort of you know a given. Yeah. Considering you would think, wouldn't you? <laughs> um, well, you'd hope so, wouldn't you? But I guess there was uh, a we'll, we'll there, there was a uh, uh, a guy at our, the the church that I got saved in who was found to be doing exactly that and he was taken out of that that ministry and that 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 leadership position wow only to to find that he was doing he was back in a leadership position uh, a few years later and it's like I don't think you've quite got what we're talking about yeah, here yeah that's just allowing vulnerabilities to be exploited it's just it's just it's just being um, oblivious on purpose, that isn't it? Like that's that's yeah. exploiting that's exploiting someone a, a vulnerability, which is they are kids to somebody who will exploit that. As in, I am a child toucher, that kind of thing. You know, like I'm. Yeah. If that person's a child toucher and they're put in charge of a youth group, then there's got to be some responsibility taken by the people who have put him there. Because, yeah. damn it, it's not like it's difficult. <laughs> you know, so yeah. you know if if they're if it's to do with kids, then you you don't want them there. If they have it, if they're sort of if it's for example a, a male preacher pursuing inappropriate relationships with women, then you would then take them out of a, that leadership position. If they are, if they've been yeah. accused, if it's a a uh, a finance or a business manager who has been accused of like like skimming some money off the top or like financial irregularities, you wouldn't then put them back in the same position. Do you know what I mean? It's, no, you'd, <laughs> you'd have like, to have some kind of... Um, you'd have to have had them go through some kind of um, test or something like that that would show that they have learned their lesson. But even then, the trust is gone. Because you've already yeah. broke that trust, you know it's it's hard to regain that. It is. It's incredibly hard to regain. I think the the phrase I've always heard, at least in, in particularly in terms of of, uh, of marriage, is that is if if there's an infidelity in the marriage, it can take around two years to sort of build the trust back up again. Yeah. And there's yeah. a similar thing to to some extent or other in a, in a church setting. Best way I can put it is like being part of a church is a right, but being. Uh, a leader in a church is a privilege. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I understand that. Yeah, it's a privilege you that know? can be revoked because it's sort of almost chosen by the people who see that you have the skills to do so and the the, the knowledge and demeanour to do so. 
Definitely. You, you wouldn't expect to see them in a, in a leadership position uh, again. And that's that's one of the main sort of things I was thinking about. Obviously, one of the key things here is, is sex offenders and also uh, child murderers in this in this case. And I asked you about the, the question of, is there anything that's unforgivable? I did say, obviously, as well, that there are some things that are universally unforgivable. Mm-hmm. Now, for me, I would consider something like murder especially something like child murder, to be right. unforgivable. Because okay. I don't know if I could... if it, From my position, if someone killed my daughter, I would find it just almost impossible to, to forgive them. And But that's me. Now, I'm, okay. not saying that it's, I'm not saying it's unforgivable for someone else, but for me personally, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm not in okay. the position, but I strongly feel I probably wouldn't be able to forgive them. So it's a hard question to answer. That's all I'm saying. The point I'm I'm driving at is that there's not really anything that's unforgivable. There there is one slightly obscure reference to if you offend the Holy Spirit, uh, that that might be an unforgivable sin. But like, I can't find any decent stuff on that, and I can't find anyone who was meant to have offended the Holy Spirit so much that it's not it. We've it's not a problem we've had to worry about until since. The early church, so I'm not going to worry about it. But you know, with with uh, with one weird little exception, there is no such thing as an unforgivable sin. Everybody can be forgiven for anything, and it's when we take it to the worst possible crimes that we're able to that that's really tested. It's really hard. That it's really difficult because also if somebody's grieving that much and if somebody's struggling that much then the last thing you want to be hearing from someone is, well, I think you really should forgive them. You know, you, I've had this in the past where I've had a, a um, had a, a family disputes or something and it's really, the person who's doing it is genuinely hurting you on a semi-regular basis. And then when you take it to your, your church family and say, look, can you pray for me? Because this is really hard. And then someone goes, well, I think you should really find it into your heart to forgive them. You're like, all right really thanks for that that's brilliant as well as the people making me feel bad you're also saying i'm a bad christian thanks for that lovely it's like when people say oh you're feeling depressed have you tried cheering up i'm like yes i have bloody well tried that thank you very much and it did not work and that's why i take pills now do me a favor (laughs) and go away <laughs> you know yeah. just like just zero time for people like that because i'm just like you've, you've you've you 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 self-righteous pillock just get yeah. out so when it comes to the topic of sex offenders or child murder or anything like that the the principle i'm still working to is that there's no such thing as an unforgivable sin there are certain caveats that would need to be met in in that area that person would need to show a true and proper repentance. They'd need to they'd need to sort of show that they were genuinely sorry. Because I mean, even in the in the era in the broad church episode that we looked at, when he kills Danny, he doesn't do it. It's not deliberate. You know, it's 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 manslaughter more than it well, okay. I'm not gonna get into the technicalities, but it looks more like manslaughter in that he in that he sort of gets angry. He does it's not premeditated. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So we're not gonna to talk too much about this because honestly I think this is a topic that really requires an expert to be talking on. Uh, I do yeah. know that the recidivism rate, the the rate of, of reoffending is actually really low. What I would suggest is there's a podcast called You're Wrong About, which does a brilliant episode on, on sex offenders. And I strongly suggest you listen to them because I think they had some really good stuff to say. What I do Mm -hmm. think we notice is that, particularly in the legal system or anything, anything with children 
people just lose their minds. They just lose all all objectivity, yeah. and it's just okay. Let's burn them at the stake because that's basically where it is, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. No, it's um, they, they well, it's, as soon as someone hears that someone's taken a child's life or they've abused a child, then people they're just like, well, you're a monster. You're not even human. You know? Yeah. But it's this this idea that we always have, like, if you. Of, of what do you then do with the person? You know, we're not going to kill them. So what, do we keep them locked up 23 hours a day for the rest of their life? Well, I don't I don't know if that's necessarily going to help anybody, you know? And I think I think trying to trying to help people and rehabilitate people is, is the way to go. I think rehabilitation is better than incarceration in every single respect. I feel like there's got to be a, at least some kind of chance. And if, they, if they're not able to use, if not able to take on that chance, then yeah, fine. They're beyond, beyond redemption. But... I don't know. This, this, this. There's a case to be made, but um, it's it's too emotional. It's too it's too much of an emotionally charged subject to to, to have an opinion and to not be sort of criticised about that, no matter what side you're on. Yeah. Um. It's it's hard. It's Absolutely. hard to it's hard for that to be uh seen in a well just in, in in a less emotionally charged manner. I can't think of the right term right now. But yeah, no, that's absolutely right. And that concludes our finding the faith in the film section. There, we have a review. We have an we actual do. review from an actual human person. I mean, we assume that I'm going to read this one out to you. <laughs> I've conducted the tests. It's fine. Oh, good. So okay. this review comes from Emma Watkins in Brisbane in Australia. And she says, I love these guys. They are film geeky enough to give great insights and knowledge bites on famous films, but not so geeky that they are patronizing or yawn inducing. The spiritual stuff is thoughtful enough to shed new light on familiar films, but not so high and mighty that they alienate people with different beliefs. In a world in which we are bombarded by film and TV, it is so refreshing to listen in on fun, interesting and thought-provoking conversation about the stories we are immersed in. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Emma. That is... Thank you, you so know much. Not yawn-inducing is going on the poster. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, all, that's, that's just up there with, like, you know, things like not bad and okay <laughs> you know just like will do <laughs> that kind of thing you know didn't suck as much as we thought yeah. <laughs> okay guys we're going to leave it there for today join us next week when we are going to be talking about a much lighter topic in the west wing i look forward to seeing you then phil i want to say have you had a good time but i feel like i already know the answer on that I, one i've had a very emotionally trying time all right guys we'll see you next week bye bye Gordon Film is hosted and created by Giles Goff and Phil Coleman. Mixing by Phil, editing by Giles. Our logo was designed by Julie Walsh, and our theme tune was composed by Rick Lee. Waffle editing by Natalie Austin. Gordon Film is a Dask production. Please rate and review, unless it's a one star, in which case, just write your review into a simple haiku. Your words will cut.